Welcome to the one within all to another episode of the Interverse podcast. I'm your host, Chance, and I am thrilled to be here for a conversation that, for me, has been years in the contemplating. As a budding practitioner of mind-body medicine myself, I have come to trust that the most profound healing is provided by the power of epiphany, the aha moment where trauma isn't just recognized and its emotions expressed, but it is fully integrated through the realization of how one's behavior has been conditioned by the limiting beliefs about self and the erroneous expectations about life that was engendered by the trauma. When we can fully and truly perceive how patterns of our life are connected and are not happening to us, but we are what's happening to life, the old stories can be closed and a new book of life can be opened with bright blank pages of unconditioned light and pure raw potential energy ready for us to take up conscious authorship of our own journey. As you've likely heard me speak about before, the limiters on our potential actually reside in our auric field as stagnant and compartmentalized subtle energy, which takes on a type of pseudo life of its own. Here to help us understand the phenomenon of psychic fragmentation is a divinely inspired innovator and author in the field of holistic psychology, renowned researcher of spiritual physics and a true technician of the psyche, Thomas Zinser. In his 2010 book, Soul-Centered Healing, A Psychologist's Extraordinary Journey into the Realms of Sub-Personalities, Spirits, and Past Lives, Dr. Zinser describes his discovery of various layers of the human mental psychic superstructure, how extreme trauma creates living psychic echoes of our past self, how he used hypnosis protocols in his therapeutic toolkit to commune with these disincarnate soul fragments, and perhaps most interesting of all, his relationship with a spirit named Gerard, who provided key insights and clues as to how Dr. Zenser could relieve his patients of their disassociative states through integration of their sub-personalities and removal of unhelpful spiritual attachments. Few books in this genre have ever rang quite so true to me as soul-centered healing, and in the several years since I first read it, I have seen plenty of evidence in my own practice to verify much of what is described in the book. So if you like the conversation you're about to hear, do yourself a favor and grab a copy through the link in the show notes 
And if you're a practitioner who wants to learn more about the method, Dr. Zinzer has two more volumes that teach it. And now it's my pleasure to get this conversation started and hopefully kick off this conversion process for you guys out there from psychic schisming to soul-centered healing, as well as welcoming the man who put the gnosis in hypnosis, the liberator of desperate demonic copies and champion of the light of inner truth, Dr. Thomas Zinzer. Welcome to the show, man, and thanks for being here. Well, thanks you, Chance, and that introduction is something, yes, uh, another warrior. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I, like I said, I'm, I'm not kidding. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. So maybe, you know, my introduction aside, how would you like to introduce yourself and your journey and your work to our audience today? Um, well, it's been 40 years, and uh, I'm now retired. And looking back um, briefly, uh, I started work in 1980s. I had private in private practice uh, doing hypnosis and encountering tremendous blocks in trying to work with clients. And the idea was to help heal trauma, and it's. Uh, lasting effects with a person. And the problem was, uh, in doing hypnosis, looking for the sources of a person's problem, distress, anxiety, there was a tremendous amount of blocking uh, with client after client. And I was on the verge myself of leaving the profession coming to an impasse with this, when I met this uh, woman who invited me to have a session with a spirit guide, and that's Jared. Uh, Jared and I worked for 15 years together, and it's difficult to, for me to give the expanse of this work in terms of meeting with Jared once a week, discussing with Jared uh, any clients that I was having difficulty with, hitting blocks. And we worked that way for 15 years. And throughout that time, um, I just can't tell you everything we got into. It's, it, was, uh, it was all over the place. But the place for me to start is really is with a person's experience, mine, yours, everyone, people listening. And that is that all of us, in one way or another, have suffered trauma. And especially as children and as adolescents, uh, but also as adults, obviously there's trauma there too. And to protect us from that trauma, the psyche creates what we call ego states or subpersonalities. And it's these subpersonalities that take over in that time of trauma and do whatever's necessary to help protect the self. And that means dissociate it, pretend it didn't happen. It means getting angry at uh, somebody who's being abusive. But that subpersonality takes over until things are safe again. 
And then that subpersonality will move to the unconscious mind as the conscious self kind of comes back into focus. The subpersonalities are kind of the central issue because of their ability, once created, they are conscious beings. And this is the part that's so difficult to understand in terms of mainstream psychology, that there is actually other parts of ourselves that are conscious and alive. They can communicate. They have a limit of intelligence. But the, the issue is they live in a very narrow reality. They're still conscious and aware, but it's a narrow reality. And it is usually the reality in which they were created. So a five-year-old that uh, uh, maybe gets abused by an adult or an parent, that subpersonality will continue to live in that experience once the conscious self has come back and gotten into focus again. That subpersonality continues to exist. And in the future, when something happens that is similar to what that child experienced, that child's subpersonality can be triggered and come forward in ways that people do not recognize why they're feeling certain things or thinking certain things. Uh, so that whole issue of trauma, creation of subpersonalities, is a huge part of it. Uh, and we can get into that more. The other issue is spirit attachments and access by outside entities. Um, Soul-centered healing is ready to address whatever is presenting with the client. I'm going to I'm going to hand it back to you, Chance, because I know this is it is very complex for me to talk about. Um, so I'd rather have you try to focus us in on on where to go with this. Yeah, it you did a great job laying out the basics here and there is so much to talk about that is uh, fascinating in this you know what came to mind was i don't know how connected you are to like current youth trends <laughs> but on the social media like tiktok and instagram and youtube there is a growing trend as in like it's popular to do this or it makes you cool to do this and it seems to be that our society has a fascination with the currency of victimhood, and this could be part of it. But there's a huge trend right now of uh, young people identifying themselves as having disassociative identity disorder, that it's cool to have alternate personalities and alters that take over. And I think a lot of it is really just theatrics and young people kind of faking it because it's a trendy thing. But on the other and there seems to be some kind of like agenda behind it that is promoting that type of material. It shows up a lot in uh, more recent pop culture, a lot of things out of Disney in particular that are of the more adult genre rather than cartoons. So, you know, what do you 
Have you seen any of that going on or are you aware that that seems to be a trend right now? And what would you make of that? I didn't know it as a trend. Um, I do follow a, a group called Multiplicity. And that's about the only thing in, on, in uh, the social networks that I am aware of. And that involves a lot of people writing in with their experience of themselves as multiple. Now, whether they are um, what we would call dissociative identity disorder and diagnosed that way, or whether there are people who are experiencing more or in touch with their own subpersonalities and kind of think of themselves as a multiple, but at one level, we all have subpersonalities. Nobody gets through life unscathed. But having multiple personalities, having subpersonalities is not the same as having the extreme which is dissociative identity disorder, where per subpersonalities actually take over the consciousness in the day-to-day world, at least temporarily. Our subpersonalities do not do that. But in a, uh, um, a true, what we would call multiple personality, these personalities are so dissociated that they do take over. Uh, and again, perform functions and protective functions uh, for the host. Uh, so that whole range, all the way from subpersonalities that remain pretty quiet or not too disturbed or just once in a while, all the way to the other end, where you have a, mo- a personality that will come over and take over consciousness, at least temporarily. So that's a whole spectrum. But the subpersonality issue, they are all conscious beings. And what I consider probably the most accurate description is that they exist at a psychic level. So when I work with a client, I can communicate directly to these subpersonalities. And they will tell me whether they have a name or not. They can tell me their age. They can tell me... When we get into their experience, they will tell me what's happened to them. And that will come through in the session and be made available to my client at a conscious level. So they are, my client is often not remembering that this has happened, or they have a kind of a memory of it, but they are missing a whole depth of what that trauma uh, meant when it occurred to them. So the subpersonality is a, is a whole other level of our being, and it can be a very, very complex, depending on what kind of life a person has had. Yeah, so to catch you up a little bit to where I'm coming from with this, like where my interest lies, is uh, my work with clients one-on-one involves the biofield anatomy hypothesis from Eileen Day McCusick. And essentially this is the use of tuning forks to look for stuck energy in the auric field around the person's body and where it's at in the approximately on average six feet of space in all directions around the body. 
actually similar to the rings of a tree. If it's say three feet away from the body and their whole field is six feet, then where that stuck energy got put there in terms of the trauma that put it there has to do with something that was half of their life ago. So for a 30 year old, it would be at around age 15. So your work really resonates with this idea because based on where it's at in the horizontal and vertical axes of their energy field related a lot to the idea of chakras will tell you the general feeling or type of belief that is holding back and limiting their personal life force energy in that way. And in my understanding of the life force or energy itself, just like the raw pranic power in the cosmos, that energy is conscious in and of itself. Like it's the consciousness and and energy are the primary thing of reality that everything else is coming out of. And so these fragments of stuck energy that I find in people's energy field that have a story to tell are in a way like what you describe a echo of a previous version of themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And so what I've, you know, like I, I guess what happened with me that really made me, uh, I was already super into the book, but I had an experience where I recognized an eight year old sub personality of myself and then integrating what I was that version of myself and what it was feeling and how it was protecting me, I realized that not just the difficult part of that age was locked away, but also positive attributes of myself from that age were also repressed. Like the whole identity of that past self had been sort of repressed. So, you know, what does, what do you think about the, uh, the possibility that the subpersonalities actually in terms of the physicality of where they live, that they might have residency in the arc field somewhere, which is kind of like the the mental energy of the person or their psyche uh, that their body is inside of. Chance, I have no question that these what we're talking about has effects at the energetic levels. And in soul-centered healing, well, the, one of the things I did not get to is working with one's higher self. That's a that's a Another whole aspect of ourselves. Um, I don't know if you want to go there first before getting into the energy. Uh, well, you I, know, every time I work with this uh, person, the first thing I do is invoke the higher self, you know. And, okay. uh, and I also ask for the protective layer of their psyche to give its job to the higher self for the session so that, the, you know, trust can be established, that this is a safe place to do it. So, yeah, I think that's a good place to begin. Uh well, the higher the higher self, it, Jared. It, Jared described it as it's as if the soul sends a piece of itself into that pre, into the present incarnation, and that is the soul's uh, active connection between the conscious self and the soul level, and that higher self can function in many ways. It has information. It has information of the present life. It is aware of what's happened with this person. The higher self has information about past lives. It can go into the soul to retrieve that information if it doesn't have it already. The higher self can bring light, love, energy to the subpersonalities. And that is a powerful, powerful move. Uh, once 
once the subpersonality agrees to receive light. And uh, so the higher self is a tremendous uh, amount of help. And so in working with a person, if we get blocked, and higher, I will ask higher self to find that block. And one of the most common is higher self will identify a subpersonality, and I will begin to communicate with that personality and find out, let's say that it's located in the throat chakra, that in its experience, maybe six, seven, eight years old, something happened, say, with a parent or getting um, punished or uh, the thing was expression shut down. They couldn't express, and so they went inside. But the energy block left there in the throat uh, is an energy disturbance that can be there from the time of the trauma and when, and never got resolved. It makes me think of someone I worked with a couple of weeks ago where I found when they were forced into the corner in school to wear the dunce cap and mm-hmm. hadn't realized that that experience had set up a belief that people didn't want to hear what they had to say, you know, and they'd be carrying that and didn't hadn't connected those dots. Exactly. Um, and in soul centered healing, the thing is, we can communicate with the subpersonality. We do that through a hypnotic technique, usually called idiomotor response, where you get you communicate through signals: yes, no, stop, I don't know. And when you communicate to that subpersonality, one of the things to do first is to get its agreement to receive light, love, energy from the higher self. And one of the most crucial issues to understand here is, which I finally realized as I worked with Jared, these subpersonalities, because they are part of the soul, they are soul creations, in a sense, soul energy, they share in the soul's free choice. And if you bring light to one of these ego states, and it's in pain or fear, it may stop that light because it's afraid of it, or that light brings up its pain. So it may move to stop that light, and because of its free choice, that light will stop. It will not intrude or override that personality. And that's where blocks come in where we try to help or try to work through those things, but we've got a part of ourselves that's in a certain mindset that is afraid or angry or and keeps stopping the light. In communicating to these personalities what's happened, and that we are talking to them now from the year 2023, and that they can receive this light love energy very safely, basically what There's ways of helping them say, yes, I'll try it. And when that subpersonality receives that light love energy, it's, it's a whole shift and change. At that point, I would say 99 point something percent of the time, that subpersonality becomes cooperative uh, with the healing process 
does not want to be without that light again and can work towards integration, release and integration. So kind of in a nutshell, that process of helping them receive light, share what they've kind of blocked up inside to release that, and then they can move to a place within the self of light and energy. Very, very good. And now I wanted to see if we could differentiate between ego states and sub-personalities. Well, I'm glad you're bringing it up. I started out in doing ego state therapy. I always called them ego states because that's where I started. If I were to rewrite all of my stuff today, I would probably make a great effort to substitute subpersonality for ego state. I have a different under I I would propose a different understanding for ego state now. So I've kind of switched to subpersonality. I am willing to use either term. Um either to me they're the same thing. Um in terms of the way I wrote about ego states. Um, I, I don't know where you want to go, whether you want to use that term ego state or subpersonality. No, it's good. I just wanted to make sure I comprehended if there was a difference. So when we're talking about ego states or subpersonalities, we're talking about almost like a, an inauthentic version of yourself in a way. Um, or like a, a mask that you wear for a certain situation based on how, like being aggravated into it? It's a consciousness. And when you, when you communicate to a subpersonality and it starts to tell you what happened, it's living in that world. That that is what it's conscious of, and and there are times I have to help them to be willing to remember what happened. And I'll say to them, uh, "Now, when this is happening, when you, are you? If you're in your own home, first finger can lift. If you're outside the home, second finger." And they may say, the first finger, they're in the house when this is happening." And I may say to them. If you are in the living room or kitchen, first finger, of another room, second finger, but you narrow down where they are living, and this subpersonality in the end may be telling you he's living in the living room, and his father has just uh, uh, kind of severely got angry with him, and he reacted to that, and he's still in, the, in a sense, he's still there. That he's he's conscious of that. So these uh, subpersonalities are like living on a almost in a loop of the time and place where the difficult experience was that caused them to fragment off. Yes, it's it's a, an eternal present, and that's very difficult for us to conceptualize. Uh, but that's one part of it that they are living in any kind of eternal present moment. Until we contact them, once we contact them, they can 
they can learn. They have a level of intelligence, and they can perceive. We can ask higher self to bring those subpersonalities up to the conscious mind and take a look out here in the present. When we do that, these these ego states are they are struck. They they immediately understand what's happened here. That this is a different reality than where they've been living. And in that sense, they can be caught up to date because they are conscious and they're perceiving. But they're not creative. When they're when they're created, eight years old, ten years old, twelve years old, they're living in that reality. They are not creative. They they don't know they have free choice. They don't know there's another other world out here. Uh, so the healing process, in a sense, is bringing them to a place where they can move out of that eternal, present, traumatic reality. So especially if this is an ego state of your childhood self at one level, or maybe you have some more than one of them, then freeing them from that state is akin to rescuing your inner child so that your, you know, the positive elements of a childlike nature can be more present with you in reality in the current time. That, that, that ego state, when it has released its pain, distress, fear, hurt, whatever it's been carrying, when it releases that, it can move to a place uh, here at a conscious level with the conscious self. It's still its own individual subpersonality. Jared kind of describes it as the as they integrate here, kind of right behind the eyes of the conscious self, but they now can be in harmony with that conscious self, with conscious reality, and it's a place of light and love that they're in now. That's not where they were. They were do they uh, do they speak to us from behind our eyes? I think from my experience, as I integrated, uh, you know, traumatic things and felt more whole, I've noticed the inner critic type of voice in my head has almost entirely been replaced with like inner cheerleaders. And sometimes the thoughts come in as almost like I'm hearing somebody else say something positive about me rather than it's a thought that I intended to have. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I would agree that. That's part of the, that's part of the integration. Um, they're still individuals, but as Jared described it to me, it's as though you're looking into the crowd, and there are individual faces, but you kind of see them all together. So when the ego states integrate, they're all there still as individuals, but now one's integrated with the conscious self. So yes. They could communicate with you, or they can look out here into the present. But it's an integration now. They're not they're not acting as fragmented pieces. So one thing in my practice that I've encountered over and over again is that some of the things that are stuck for the person energetically, thematically, the type of feelings that the trauma created or the type of beliefs about themselves that the trauma created, that they, the person will have had 
many, many, many repeat experiences in life that may seem like different and separate events. But when we get to the bottom of it, we realize this entire chain of events, even though it seems different, different things at different times, we're all repeating the circumstances of what made them feel a certain way. And so my question about this is, do you think some of the more aggressive or disturbed sub personalities can actually bring about a type of intentional or energetic influence, bringing about events in the external world and life that allow them to have more opportunity to influence the driver's seat? That's a good question. Uh, how much? Um, because in the extreme, these subpersonalities actually get to the point where they can take the driver's seat, right? It's rare, but that happens. Well, and that's that's what used to be understood as the, as the diagnosed multiple personality. What we were talking about before, where these parts of the self actually can enter, take the, as uh, one of them described it, take over the spot, at least temporarily and they are they are the executive function at that point most of our subpersonalities don't have that uh kind of situation or condition do you That's think it's a, like an energy thing that if the more energized it is the more agency it can take um i, I don't know about that kind of energy intensity as much, I mean, in, t in terms of the terms to use is the intensity of the trauma that occurred and what was demanded of them to handle it, to keep the self safe, that that may be much more powerful in one kind of trauma for the person and not, not as kind of threatening or uh, painful or traumatic in another so one of them may have a more powerful experience and in that sense almost be required to take over if that ever happens again or if that gets triggered again. So in that sense, they, they have a stronger energy. It's, um, there, there, there's more at stake in a sense. That's, that, that's the whole spectrum though. You, you really can't predict it. Every person is so unique. And to go back to your idea about this repeating, um, you can have an ego state created at four years old. The same kind of issue happens at age seven, and that four-year-old gets triggered because it's the same issue, the same fear uh, or the same anger. But when that th uh, three or four-year-old is triggered to, and it's now seven years old, that subpersonality will grow to seven. They'll be seven years old now because they've reconnected with present reality where the body is seven. If something happens at 12 years old that is right down that same trauma, that same experience, that seven-year-old now, if that's the one triggered, may come forward, do its thing again, but then also register as 12 years old. So when I find a 12-year-old, for example, with a client, it could be that they're carrying experiences from seven and from three. Um, 
But the other possibility occurs also. The three-year-old is created. Um, same kind of thing happens four years later. And however, it's different enough that in this case, a seven-year-old is created. And that seven-year-old now carries its experience, but it's got a link, kind of a vibratory link to a three-year-old experience too. So you can actually find groups of ego states who exist together at that psychic level. And when you contact one, you'll find out. I can't, I, and I will say, as you look around you there, is there anyone else there with you? And I'll get a yes. And I may find that there are five in this group that exist together there. Um, they have that. It's, it's a whole inner world. Uh, so in terms of whole soul-centered healing, you just have to work through the protocols to find out who's who, who's there, what they're carrying, and what needs to be released, and what will make it safe for them to do that. Okay, so, but it's maybe not, we're not sure about if they have any kind of agency to uh, influence external world events. You know, and when I say influence, that may be too loaded of a term, but the mirror of the outer world experience to the inner world topography, so to speak, to me seems pretty evident, you know, that you can interpret life the way you would interpret a dream and that the meaning and the teleology of it is going to be there in exactitude. And so it's a chicken or an egg, what came first, maybe. But it does seem to me that to some degree, um, we will keep, we will draw experiences to ourselves that reawaken some of that trauma as possibly it's a, a mechanism of like healing, trying to initiate itself that, hey, no, notice this yet? Have you noticed this yet? <laughs> you know, it keeps coming back around. Uh I'm going to see if we're maybe talking about the same thing here. These ego states, from my point of view, they not only influence the self, depending on who they are, what they carry, what's happened, they can very strongly direct the self. But they're directing the self in terms of the response to what's happening out there. They're not so much subpersonalities who are cooking up in their head something they want to have done or or do. But if that experience triggers them, they're going to influence and they're going to they're going to exercise a growing influence on that person, the child, as they grow up, maybe to avoid certain situations or when they get into this situation, uh, boy, they're going to be angry. Uh, and they're influencing the self because when that conscious self gets angry, he or she may not know why they're angry, but they're angry, and that's causing more kind of havoc in the outside world for them. And so this subpersonality is just, in a sense, sort of created a stumbling block for this person, and the person doesn't really understand what's going on here. Um, and if you have a whole crowd of ego states that are related to a certain type of experience that has happened over and over again, in a way that's like living with a subconscious expectation that stuff like that will happen regularly. Yes. And in that sense, maybe magnetizes your, you towards that type of experience. Yeah. I, I, you know, I think I understand what you're saying. Almost like their energy draws that energy to them. 
Yeah, because inner and outer are always a type of mirror. Yes, and, and I I ascribe to that as well. How much, let's say, a group of ego states that have had a pretty intense trauma, say really abused as, as children. Um, and so you've got a group of them. Uh, that energy is pretty intense, and it can, like we say, influence the person, what to do, what not to do, how to react. But whether they actually draw to themselves, in a sense, that kind of situation, I I would not rule that out. Uh, One thing I remember from the book is that there were some things described where information passed you from Jared or things that you talked about with an ego state while a client was under hypnosis that you were able to find some instances of like evidence <laughs> that the uh, that what you were talking to was quote unquote real or that it really knew something. Do you have any stories to share where there were aha moments that uh, something that came to you through these means ends up being verifiable? Uh, Chance, I'm going to preface that with, with a couple comments. Um, one is. Um, the verification process for 15 years with Jared went on constantly. And when I worked with a client and let's say an, uh, an ego state came forward, an eight-year-old and eight-year-old was angry and didn't want to talk to me and uh, didn't trust anybody, really blocked. The next time I met Jared, I might ask him, Jared, I worked with so-and-so we had this eight-year-old, very angry. I just couldn't get past that anger. Jared, is there anything you see with that eight-year-old that may help? Jared would come in with information about where what's going on with this eight-year-old. What maybe to ask him that would get him to take a step? So this went on for 15 years. And I would say to you, the verification was just all that time. One th- one time after another. Um, in terms of stories, this is a second issue. I I've heard thousands and thousands of stories. I've worked with thousands of ego states. I've heard so many stories that, in some ways, they all run into one in my mind. Um, and, um, I, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll recount the um, story I told in the book about the red tennies. This is, this is a young girl wearing red tennis shoes. And she, uh, she had been ongoing abuse by her father. And um, I was working with this woman. She was, she was probably in her 40s. And uh, we were really stuck. I talked to Jared and asked him, I said, you know, Jared, I'm working here. We're really getting blocked. He said, look for the girl, the little girl in red tennies. And that's, that's all he was saying to me. So the next time I met with this one, and we're working inside, and these blocks start, I asked that her higher self look for the young girl in red tennis shoes. 
And uh, first finger when you have found her. And I get a first finger. Jared has found her. And I asked Jared to connect me with that uh, little girl. And I've asked her directly, to, to that little girl with the red tennis shoes on, are you willing to communicate with me? And I get a yes. That's the kind of thing Jared would offer. He would kind of offer me an in. And then I would follow that up. And then this woman comes in. First of all, this little girl, this little ego state, she's sharing what's happened. On the, She was standing on the steps and abuse going on. And uh, she's sharing the whole experience. And uh, the client had never remembered this. That, that was completely for her kind of coming out of nowhere. That kind of verification was happening all the time with clients, um, all the time. This is, this is a facet of, of this work that I would consider scientific. <laughs> um, you could, I, I would say you could work with 10 people, do the process, keep very good records, and you would find these things being verified. Um, so these, these personalities, they do exist. They are real. And in our culture, these kinds of things are not accepted yet. Um, maybe the trend you're talking about uh, might uh, might bring some progress here to recognize there are parts of ourselves and that we're all not, um, you know, DID, dissociative identity disorder. It's not all that. But we all are fragmented. And we can find and heal those fragments. So with your, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. <laughs> well, I, I fully agree that binding and healing over and sealing the fragmentation, it, there's many sort of fractal levels to that. There's the psychic level. There's the way that this shows up in the body in terms of how, you know, muscular tension or, Things like peripheral neuropathy or, you know, flow energetically or blood flow restrictions that our body actually can even mirror the inner fragmentation of the psyche through certain yes. parts of the body getting cut off from the life force. And so I was I guess my, my question in that is how, uh, you know, you're mostly it seemed that in your book you were very interested in solving the conundrums of disassociative schizophrenic and other types of split personality adjacent disorders. But did you ever notice in a, a pattern that as people found psychic coalescence, that their physical health would improve? All the time. Um, another part about these subpersonalities is that most of them, they are created in the body experience. If they've felt fear or they've been hit or they've fallen off a bicycle and had a bad, bad injury, um, that's happening in the body. And it, that subpersonality, when it goes back unconscious, conscious person's back, that subpersonality is carrying that physicalness of its experience. And if you ask, uh, they will tell you where they are located in the body. 
So, and I would often do that. Uh, higher self can help with that. Uh, they can tell you. There's other parts of the self that can tell us where these parts are located. I worked with one woman who had a, a group of ego states in her elbow. And she was going for a rolfing session. And in the rolfing session, the rolfer began working with the elbow. And you know how you can dig into those muscles. Uh, well, when I did a session with this woman next time, I was communicating with these ego states. They said they moved out of the elbow because of how much they were distressed by that work. So they moved to a different area of the body to get away from that. Um, so these egos, most of them, do carry that body physical component. And I would, I would add another example here. An ego state, it's not, an, it's not rare that an ego state, a child who's been, who's very abused, that ego state, when created, may leave the body and move to another area of the aura. So they're existing in the aura, in their consciousness, as a subpersonality, but they are not in the body. And when I'm communicating with them, and that's one of the things I would find out, is that they left the body because they were trying to get protection. So we will work with them to share what's happened, to release that, and help them move back into the body and find their place in the body. And that's very frightening for them to begin with, to, to move into the body because they're going to re-feel that trauma. Um, so that's that would not be an unusual thing to see also. Uh, these parts will go to whatever extent is needed and they can for protection. And I would, I would tell you there are some also that will leave the soul for that kind of protection because of how much threat they were under. So there can be sophisticated subpersonalities who are aware of the present, who are aware of the conscious personality, and who can, like we were talking about before, have a pretty strong influence on, it's, again, not being creative and planning, but very influential on blocking the higher self from doing going in certain directions or working in certain ways or having certain thoughts. There are ego states that are strong enough to block certain kinds of thinking and behavior uh, to keep the self away from uh, particular areas. I like that we're getting into this. And I think in the second hour, we'll talk more about how these more sophisticated subpersonalities may be returning in a sense as fully independent outside entities or attaching spirits with, a, you know, going to an entirely new soul to, to do their thing or following a person in reincarnations. But I wanted to ask you, and we'll save all that, but I wanted to ask you about 
Have you ever encountered ego states that were created before the birth of the person, but it's re- relevant to that current life? My example would be from my own recent experience working with a woman who was having a, I don't remember the word as a funky word, but basically in sexual encounters, she was unable to physically open up to be able to have, uh, you know, intercourse. And she didn't know why that was happening. Uh, and it had to, it was only happening with people who she had an emotional connection to. If she didn't know them or care about them, well, then that wasn't an issue. And what we discovered in the session, although it wasn't something we could verify, but she thought it was very likely true, what came up for me intuitively in the session was that her mother had actually been uh, forcibly impregnated by her father. They were married, but it would be what you would consider a rape. It wasn't really willing. And that that had uh, huge ramifications for a lot of other elements of her life. But that that basically caused a type of fragmenting before or at the moment of conception. So I was wondering how much pre-birth stuff has come into play with your work. A lot of pre-birth and a lot of past life. Um, I mean, this is another whole dimension that as a soul, having lived more than one lifetime, in other lifetimes, I also created subpersonalities when, when during trauma. And as Jared uh, kind of explained it and worked with me uh, over time, <clears throat> subpersonalities created in a past life, when that person dies and goes to the light, returns home to the light, these subpersonalities that are unresolved, as that soul starts to return to the light, that subpersonality can react to the light. Again, it's bringing up its pain or its memory or it's angry at God and it doesn't want that light. As Jared said, the soul will take those unresolved parts and put them in a pocket within the soul, protecting them from the light. Because they have free choice. The light won't force them. And so it kind of puts them into a protective pocket. When that soul reincarnates, that pocket can open up. And these unresolved past life subpersonalities can be triggered in present when the present life, again, when the present life issue hits that past life issue. It can trigger that past life subpersonality to come forward, reacting once more to its own experience. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I think so. So you may have past life subpersonalities be very much a part of your client's ongoing issue where they've got present life and past life subpersonalities connected together because they carry the same issue, the same theme, the same emotion, the same conflict. Something they are carrying is a match. And so you're dealing with all of that then with your client to heal all of that pain and struggle that's been kept inside at these by these different parts of the soul. 
I have I have some more questions about that. But I think for the first hour, what would be great is if you could talk about how people can learn your protocols and maybe talk about what your students have been able to do with the work that you shared. Uh, this is a very, very tough one, Chance. Um, it is very difficult to work with one's own subpersonalities. It can be done, and it certainly can be done by a person who's developed these sensitivities. Um, but talking in general, these subpersonalities were created to keep their experience away from the conscious self. So we are asking these subpersonalities, present life or past life, we are asking them to do something they were created not to do. They were created to keep this away from the self, not, not share it, not bring it back. That's why we have to communicate with them directly so that they understand what we're doing. And we explain to them the healing process and how they will need to remember and share, but it's a one-time sharing. They're not going to have to keep doing this. Because once they share what they've been carrying and they have a release, that energy is gone. That energy is released. When they understand that, and they can, higher self can communicate this understanding to them. Once they understand that and they feel the light themselves, they're really saying, all right, let's go. I'm, I'm ready to, to take this light all the time. It's very difficult when you get into working with your own subpersonality. You've got to be able to take them through that process. And there can be there can be subpersonalities that are quite frightened, quite angry, uh, terrified, hiding. Um, and and <laughs> and so you're having to wear two hats at once when you try to work with your own ego states. And and so it's tough. Um, in terms of the training, and because it's tough. Um, I began training after I retired four years ago. The training requires uh, at least two years. It's very extensive. Um, it has a number of aspects uh, in, <laughs> in terms of the, the things we use to help them train on the protocols. Uh, so. That's one of the tough things about having developed this or learned myself about this whole picture and trying to bring it into the world. What can, I think, be helpful is for any anyone, all of us, to understand the concept of the creation of an ego state or subpersonality, the creation of it, how it can live within us, how to be, become aware of our subpersonalities. And it's kind of like what you're talking about for yourself. I think you've kind of worked and became aware of these parts of yourself and then maybe worked with them in some ways to help them integrate. And I do believe that that can happen. It's just that the more critical, the more deeply painful, traumatic, 
experience a person has had, the really tougher it is. Um, because a lot of a lot of parts can be created to handle somebody's trauma when they've been under consistent kind of traumatic attack. Would you say you've got any students that have progressed far enough to sort of take the mantle from you and carry this work into the future and possibly teach it themselves someday? Yes. Um, That's great. I have two groups of people who will be starting level five next month, but they've been ready to do this since level three and they've done level four. So these, this list of people, I, this is who I send out when I get emails asking people asking for this kind of treatment. I will send a list of these practitioners. I'm also heal, uh, training a, uh, a third group of practitioners now, and they're, they're going to be there pretty soon. Uh, but it's very extensive training. It's you, the thing I would emphasize is the healing process is directed by the client. We work with what they present. We don't go calling things forward. It needs to present from them. And so we work with their higher self. We work with what's called their protective part of the mind. We work with their subpersonalities, and we address what comes forward. So my students in training, they've got to be ready to deal with what's going to come forward. And we've not even talked yet about a lot of what might present. And they've got to be ready for whatever it is. Um, so... I like that, though, that you're specifically training them not to incept any kind of things into the client, because with hypnotherapy, that's a common issue that the biases and expectations of the hypnotist can really influence the client. So for things to be client directed, that makes a lot of sense because the healing really has to be them. They're doing it. You're just sort of the facilitator or the translator, if you will. I would emphasize that this work is an experiential work, and the healing uh, happens through the client's experience. When they experience this four-year-old who went through this, and then they begin to understand, this is them, this is me, this four-year-old, and they begin to feel that four-year-old experience, that's the sharing. And once they feel that, they br they've brought it back now. To consciousness, then they can release it. So it's very experiential. And the healing happens through that sharing, release, and bringing in light experience. I can't give them that. I help guide it for them to have that. But, but that's their experience. Very good. And so, Tom, as we wrap up the first part here, can you let people know where they might go to get your books or if there's availability for more people to join the training where they could find that. Um, my book's available probably anywhere uh, in terms of uh, it's not usually carried on the shelf in the bookstores, um, at least not all bookstores, uh, but it's available if they call 
the bookstores can order it. It's all it's available on Amazon or a number of online uh, stores. It it's in the worldwide catalog, so any bookseller would have access to it. Um, you can find links to it on my website, uh, soulcenteredhealing.com, all one word. Um, the training, though, Chance, uh, and again, it's good you brought it up. The third group that I'm training right now is going to be my last group that I will do personally. And the plan is that uh, those people, some of those people that I have trained, uh, will work with me to develop for themselves to be able to train. Uh, so that's that's not in place yet. Uh, we're kind of, kind of right in that transition point. Um, but uh, that's kind of where things are at now. I'm training the last group, and we're going to work to be setting up what kind of training is going to continue. Do you think that that will be, you know, whenever the torch has passed forward like that, your website will purvey the details of any future trainings from your students? Uh, for sure. Uh, I'm in the process now of working with a, a group who's building a new website for me. And uh, these practitioners will be listed, you know, by name on the new website. Right now, I send out the names when people request, but that'll be on the new website. And anything about training will be on the new website. Um, when that's in place. All right. Well, thank you, Tom. And we'll um, head over to our second hour now where I, I don't know if we can fit it all in, but I definitely want to ask more about uh, Jared and the spirit attachments and outside entities, the way reincarnation plays into all this. And then, as you said, what types of things can present in a session. So that's going to be pretty jam packed. Really enjoyed the first hour, and we'll see everybody on the second part. Thanks for coming on. Great. fun with this one man there's never really been a better conversation though to get the second hour so i encourage you right out the gate don't even listen to me give this outro just go get interverse plus on rockfin or patreon it is going to be worth it <laughs> this was so awesome i have probably been hoping to talk to tom zinser for 
five, six, seven years. Been quite a long time since I read his book. I have no idea exactly how long, but probably about as long as I've been doing this show. And so it was a huge pleasure. I got to say thanks to Chris Matthew of Forbidden Knowledge News Network because it came up when I was talking to him that he had interviewed Tom Zinser. And I was like, I've got to talk to him. And last time I tried to make it happen, he was not in a place where he could take interviews. And I kind of left it there. But having that reminder by talking to Chris gave me the inspiration to try again. And sometimes it's what you got to do. You just got to ask again later, give it some time. And man, this was the time because, you know, the first meeting, this is the type of thing is probably a one, one and done type of interview. I don't think we'll get another one with Zinser. So if I had had this conversation back when I first asked, I wouldn't have the experience working with people's biofield and doing tunings that I have now where I can see a very powerful correlation to his work, to the things that I'm uncovering as I practice more and more helping people find the stock energy in their field. So hallelujah, <laughs> the blueprint aligns and we did this in the perfect timing. So excited about it. So please, if this was at all interesting, check out his book. It's a great read. It's one to enjoy and maybe pass on to somebody else. I gotta say, with psychology, psychologists in general, or maybe more psychiatrists, the ones prescribing pills and whatnot, it's so often. I mean, I mostly encountered this in college with people who were like psych majors, but usually the ones who are training to become or who have become psychologists, psychiatrists, oftentimes it's as much or more out of their motivation to try to figure out their own problems than it is about wanting to help others. But with Thomas Zinser, this is the guy. He's like legitimately there to help, legitimately there to unravel the threads that are tangling up people in their psyche. And asking you will receive his whole story with how he got a lot of the insights to help him with the methodology that he does is fantastic, way more detailed in the book, but we did talk about that more in hour two. So yeah, let me just get into it. So if you want to listen to the second hour, you can get that on Rockfin or Patreon. There'll be a link in the show notes. Jump right over there. If you're watching this as a live stream or the premiere on YouTube or something, the Rockfin premiere is chugging along right now. You can just jump right over there and get into the second hour. Boom. But yeah, worth it. And you get to support me. I'm having a baby. So, you know, all the more reason why it's good karma, maybe to send me money, but you get something in return. Hey, so anyway, in the second hour, fascinating. I've always wanted to talk about somebody that has some experience with this stuff, but we discussed the corporate structure of demonic organizations and hierarchies. I knew it was like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like literally an as above, so below thing that the the corporate model applies to the spiritual realm in the negative sense. So that's interesting. So we talked about what are demonic entities, you know, earthbound spirits, mischievous souls, dark souls. There's a, a lot of distinctions. He's got specific lingo. His book has a glossary of terms that helps with that. But, you know, there is a difference between mischievous entities and full on dark souls. And so what are these dark souls? How do they influence living human beings? 
Well, we talked about that and how the sub personalities or the ego states we discussed in hour one are like the doorway in to the psyche of the person for these dark souls to influence them and to basically trick them. You know, it's definitely not fully consensual. It's not full disclosure. So there's so much to that. But one interesting element we discussed was how there are psychic possessions, as in objects that the ego state actually is given by a dark soul for their own protection, ostensibly, or, you know, for their own comfort. And that these physical, psychical possessions that the ego state has taken and accepted become like a dark doorway or a device, a tracking device of sorts, maybe even allowing the the, uh, dark souls to track that light being into another incarnation, sort of very wild stuff. But (laughs) I normally, I normally don't even like to get into this realm of, of speculation because so many people that talk about this stuff or things in this type of metaphysical expansive idea realm are like, feel like they're kind of full of crap, but uh, I just, I really, my, my ring of truth radar goes off with Tom, like big time, like this guy, this guy's authentic and I love it. So we discussed all that and how to release earthbound spirits. We talked about spirit guides. Who are they? What are they? How to connect to them? We talked about the purpose of darkness, the origin of light and the reason for incarnation as he calls it, the level playing field, the physical realm. I think that's funny because I don't, I mean, I, I reckon he's probably not somebody that has done much questioning of the idea of a ball versus a plane, but he does refer to the physical realm as a level playing field. And I'm just like, yeah, it's, it's level. <laughs> it's level on all levels. But yeah, he um, he talks also about his, meeting of Jared, the, or Jared, the, uh, the entity that, or the guide that gave him so much insight in how to help his clients. And that was great to uh, get a little more of that story fleshed out. And then we had a nice riveting finale of distinguishing between evil and darkness and how that distinction can help us free up our own personal judgment, self-recrimination, and also to love and accept others who maybe are going through a dark spot, but they're not evil and confusing this evil and darkness is what brings a lot of pain and suffering unnecessarily into the world and a lot of separation, you know, and blockages between family members and friends. Cause we're like calling each other evil when really maybe one of us is just more in a dark spot or both of us are. So all of that and more really, really cool conversation. I wanted to tell, I wanted to tell a little story about what I feel was my own encounter with a ego state or sub personality. And it's, uh, it's kind of intense, but in my early twenties, I had my first experience with psilocybin, uh, AKA magic mushrooms. <laughs> don't try this at home or, or maybe do it's up to you. I, I don't recommend or dissuade you from experimenting with entheogens, but I was experimenting with entheogens at this point, more on the lines of like for fun as a party thing. And what it, (laughs) what happened was it was kind of not super fun in some ways. (laughs) I was bigger than that. So while I was in this, you know, expanded consciousness state from the psilocybin, from the entheogen, I so much happened, but I, I pretty much had a moment where like I blacked out on my feet 
like I, I fainted, I passed out to, for just a moment. When I came to, I, I was on the floor and I had landed, I'd fallen forward and landed on my chin. So the bottom of my chin busted on the floor. And in that experience, all of a sudden, while I was in this psychedelic mind state, all of a sudden, flooding back into my mind, I remembered being a four-year-old. And it was one of the first times I was allowed to take a shower without supervision. And being the exuberant young kid I was as a four-year-old, <laughs> I was jumping up and down and dancing in the shower, bobbing and weaving, doing my thing. And I slipped and fell as a four-year-old and I landed on my chin in the exact same spot. So in this mushroom experience, the repetition of the chin impact all of a sudden shook loose this ego state of my four-year-old self, this repression. And as the memory of being a four-year-old came back to me and the, you know, the trauma of busting my chin open, which was a pretty bad, I have a scar from it and everything, you know, I, I didn't get stitches and maybe I, I should have, or who knows what, but what actually happened was below that concealed under the trauma of the chin was an ego state for me as a four-year-old of having had a, a one, one and done one off uh, sexual abuse experience where I was, you know, I, I experienced some very inappropriate stuff to say the least. And, uh, <laughs> and it was heavy, you know, and I had fully repressed that out of my consciousness. I couldn't remember it at all until I had this mushroom trip where the chin impact took me back to my four-year-old ego state. And then while that came to the fore, then I was able to recall the other, the real trauma that was being concealed because the injury wasn't big enough trauma to need to be hidden from myself, really. But I did. I had forgotten about all of that. Everything about being a four-year-old was kind of locked in there. So that was the first time I ever ran into one of my own ego states coming back and integrating. And it wasn't right away. I'll tell you that. It took, it took some work to integrate the... Uh, the sexual abuse trauma and to realize how it influenced my behavior and all that. And who knows, maybe there's even more integration yet to come, but that's a pretty vulnerable story. So, you know, send me money. <laughs> Just kidding. I do want you guys to get on plus though. I'm so freaking excited about talking to Tom Zinser. Uh, you know, and the other thing, the other thing about, I'm curious about you guys out there. Like, have you ever run into your own sub personalities or ego states? I wonder too about how this plays into the dissociative identity craze in terms of it being a trend, you know, what people think about that out there. And then Tom wasn't super hip to that being a thing, um, which is fine. Uh, he's doing his own work and he's at a different phase in life. He's not on TikTok. Neither am I for that matter, but I'm just happen to be aware of it. So anyway, uh, what else, what I'll leave you with is an invitation to, have a moment with yourself where maybe you maybe just listening to me talk about this will help with it. But I want to give you some insight from my perspective about how one can exercise some mischievous spirits from your auric field or some attached entities that are outside of you from outside that are not one of your own ego states or what have you, not one of your own sub personalities, but more along the lines of the demonic in the sense of the deceased and disembodied human soul that is not going into the light. So how I came to this realization was on pondering 
the name, the four-letter name of God, yad heh vav heh Jehovah. This is a word that means existence, essentially. Existence. And even in its transliteration as I-E-V-E or Eve, that word, same four letters, means life. That's the name of the mother of all things, even kind of the primordial darkness in a way, Eve or Sophia. So if there's any hanging around you right now or tangle up in your field, that goes for me too. If I got any around here or they're just watching, I want any of you disincarnate spiritual entities to be aware that the, and this is, you can use this as a technique for exercising demons, everyone. Just tell the entities that the reason why you're doing this energy harvesting or attaching to living beings or whatever mischief you're up to is probably because you're afraid to go into the light, afraid to recapitulate your own life experiences to see hear, feel, taste, touch, all the ways that you made other people feel or all the things that you went through that were too difficult to face at the time. And the thing is, especially for any that are afraid of, afraid of disintegration, afraid of being punished for, or even like cast away from God or, or destroyed for their transgressions or what they perceive as their transgressions, their darkness. I want all these entities that might be listening to be aware that what you're afraid of essentially by rejecting the light, refusing to go into the light is you're afraid of existence in a way, or I'm sorry, you're afraid of (laughs) non-existence. You're afraid of being destroyed, being disintegrated, being punished. But if you consider where you're at right now as a disincarnate spirit, you are living in a, in a non-living way. The very thing you're afraid of. Your fear of returning to the light is keeping you in a state of non-existence. Your fear of non-existence is keeping you in a state of non-existence. And especially for those disincarnate living beings that are now spiritual entities attached to my audience. (laughs) If you're, if you ever got a deal, if you cut a deal with some dark robed wizard spirit about working for the big guy, Satan, (laughs) maybe they never told you a name. Well, Satan is the opposer or adversary of Jehovah, of existence. And that would mean if you're the opposite of existence, that means you don't exist. I'm telling you, the office at the top of the big black evil tower of Tolbarad in Mordor, there's nobody home. You know, (laughs) Sauron doesn't even have a body. Sauron is a disincarnate spirit, too. It's an idea in our head. It's not real. So the very being you're afraid of that you might even be working for if you're one of these spirits doesn't exist. The thing that you're afraid of is non-existence. The things you're afraid of don't exist. All that exists is the light and life and incarnation and reality and expansion and flow and beauty and truth and love. And that's all you're going to receive if you go into the light. If you accept the next phase of your journey. If you have the courage to recapitulate all the things you experienced and move on from them, then you'll no longer be in this limbo state of non-existence where all you are is a hypothetical in our minds. You know, are there even these type of spirits attached to some of you out there or around you? 
in your mind, they might be. <laughs> and that's all any of these beings can ever be until they move on. So I hope y'all out there heard what I'm saying. And by y'all, I mean the ones listening through the ears <laughs> of my listeners that it's okay to go. It's okay. It's safe to go into the light. It's actually your best bet. So I hope that helps. I hope uh, some of you out there maybe are inspired to hit me up for some tuning work. It's great stuff. It really jives with the whole talk we just had with Thomas Zinser. So I'm kind of expecting some of you might be interested in doing that type of integration after hearing us talk. And if you are, you can visit my website, interversepodcast.com sound. I'm sorry, interversepodcast.com slash sound dash healing. That'll be linked in the show notes as well, or you can just email me chance at interversepodcast.com and I will send you a link to there where you can find out more about the process or initiate a uh, session, getting one scheduled. Please do that. It's very, very, very valuable work. And I just want more of you to experience it. And maybe even someday the way Tom is teaching it, I might be able to teach it as well. That's something I, I intend to do. Other than that, ways to support the show and support me and my coming baby and my beautiful wife is uh, Tipica New Herbs. There's a link to that in the show notes. Hit up Kyle and family. Get yourself some wonderful, excellent tinctures that they make or any of the other herbal medicines that they've got available. Interverse is the coupon code for 10% off there. Also, my audiobooks with Dylan Sicoccio are available and they're great. Good way to support as well. So, you know, get on it. Thanks for the help. Hope you're getting something out of these episodes and I look forward to the next one. I'll catch you guys all later. Much love. And uh, wherever you're at out there, don't be afraid to do the right thing. Be good for good sake. I love you all. Peace. <laughs>